Well, church, as we continue this morning, let me invite you to open the scriptures with me again to the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy. As we continue our series, uh, Blueprints for a Gospel-Centered Church, and we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5 uh, today. We've got a couple more weeks in 1 Timothy before we uh, shift into a new series for the summer. Uh, But 1 Timothy was written, as we've said before, by Paul to Timothy, uh, giving him instructions to share Uh, and to use to lead the church in Ephesus that was experiencing some problems. And so this, uh, by nature of being in God's Word, is more than just a letter to uh, the church in Ephesus or about the church at Ephesus. It's a a letter for the church, the church universal, the church in every age. And so we uh, devote our attention uh, to it as being the Word of God, uh, wanting to hear from the Lord and to be led by Him. If you don't have a pew Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, I should have said that wrong. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab a pew Bible. uh, And you can find this text on page 962. And as you find it, uh, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse 9. Let's hear from the Word of the Lord. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60 has been faithful to her husband and is well known for for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. You know, Paul was a pretty straight shooter. He didn't have much filter, I don't think. Uh, Verse 14, so I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy uh, no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. Verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care... She should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to... You are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, They should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. 
We thank you that uh, your word speaks truth, that it is truth. Father, we thank you that your spirit lives in your people and is with us now as we gather in your name. We pray that your spirit would guide us and give us wisdom and rightly understanding the truths of your word and applying them to our lives as your people today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. Well, quite the section here, rather lengthy section of Scripture. Probably uh, good that you didn't lock your knees on uh, that one. Uh, but we're making up for, for last week. Uh, my preaching professor in, in seminary taught that uh, pastors are called to feed the church the Word of God week after week, and not with sermonic snacks or spiritual happy meals or uh, spiritual sound bites, but with a five-course meal every Sunday. Uh, once again, a flawed preacher stands before you today, but I stand to proclaim the flawless, life-giving word of the living God. And as with all Scripture... Uh, there's intentionality here to the way that these passages, these uh, three seemingly disconnected passages are strung together. For each section uh, is about serving others for the sake of the gospel. Believers serve faithfully for the sake of the gospel. Christians or followers of Christ, those who know and, and trust in Jesus are called upon to serve faithfully for the sake of the gospel are Are you serving? Are you a servant? Are you serving faithfully? You know, three specific relationships are mentioned in this section. If you were listening uh, closely, you couldn't have have missed these. And they were the relationship between widows and the church, the relationship between elders or pastors in the church, and the relationship between slaves and masters. And in each of these, believers are called to honor Christ I mentioned earlier the the beautiful stained glass that we have in the window uh, behind me and how there's intentionality here uh, with those who designed uh, and engineered and and pieced this puzzle together, uh, drawing our attention, pointing us to that centerpiece, the the gospel, the, the cross of Christ. And I hope, I hope that this is a reminder for us church, as we gather together week after week, that we gather in the name of Jesus and that we gather because Jesus gave his life on the cross for the sins of the world. I hope when we read the word of God, when we open the the pages of the Bible, when we read any particular text in this larger text, that we're reminded that the cross of Christ is our guide. It is the central story of the scriptures and our guide for understanding uh, the text there. And in a similar way, Believers are called upon in whatever relationships we find ourselves, and Paul uh, mentions and addresses some specific ones here, whatever relationships we're in, we're called to conduct ourselves in a way that honors Christ, in a way that points to Christ uh, in that particular relationship. And first, we see here that the church and her widows honor Christ through, through mutual service. The church and her widows Honor Christ, bring honor to Christ, glory to Christ through mutual service called to serve one another. Last week we read the opening uh, words of chapter 5, the text right before what we've read today where Paul instructs the church to care for one another as family. 
And widows are, are mentioned as one particular group that could benefit from the church's care. And then he goes on in our text for today to get some age Uh, specific instructions for widows, not a blanket statement, and this is important for us, not a blanket statement for or against remarriage, uh, but counsel, I think, that reflects specific circumstances and challenges found in Ephesus in the first century. For example, in chapter 4, we learn that there were some false teachers that were forbidding uh, people to marry. And Paul speaks up and he says, no, that's not the case. That's a a misunderstanding of our faith. That's a misunderstanding of the word of God. He says, no, it's fine and it's good for younger widows to remarry. And he goes on and suggests for another group that they have a singular devotion to Christ in his church. And for those, the the church must ensure that they receive proper care. So church, let's care for our widows in need. Let's be a people, let's be a family that cares for our widows in need. As noted last week, we are family. The church is family. And we're called to, to care for fellow members of the family in need. In church, we have widows, we know this. We also have single mothers. We have feeble men, we have some broken teenagers, we have diseased and disabled and we have lonely and we're called to care for them sacrificially, uh, intentionally and lovingly. Today is a day, as mentioned earlier, as you know by now, that we honor a particular segment of our family and that's our senior adults. Perhaps applying the principles that are found in this text means that we befriend one of our seniors here maybe a widow, and we learn from her, extending a a caring hand, maybe offering to handle uh, the the car maintenance for someone in need, maybe offering to to do yard work or basic household repairs, or in some cases, maybe providing a a ride to, to church or elsewhere for those that might need it. Church, let's be a family that cares for our widows in need, and then widows... Scriptures encourage you to devote yourselves to serving Jesus and his church. Devote yourselves to serving Jesus and his church. So it's unclear what this list of widows that's mentioned in verse 9 and verse 11 uh, refers to. You know, it may refer to a list of mature and and spiritual uh, widows and and faithful widows in the church in Ephesus in the first century that needed financial support from the church. But many uh, scholars actually think that it refers to a list of spiritually mature widows in Ephesus who were enlisted to serve the church in a particular way in some sort of official capacity or formal position. Such a reading then mirrors the list of character qualifications that we read in chapter 3 concerning other leaders of the church, overseers and deacons. And indeed, there are some, uh, some marked similarities. In other words, the church can benefit, we can benefit, and we can blossom from the prayers and the counsel and the wisdom and the experience and the service and the encouragement of mature widows who are able to devote themselves more fully to the spiritual well-being of the church. When I read a text like this, I can't help but think of my own grandmother and her faith in Christ, herself a, a widow 
who I know without a doubt prays diligently for me and my children every single day. Uh, she's often one of the first, maybe the first, to listen to my sermons posted on the church uh, webpage or the church Facebook page and to like them. Uh, she's not biased at all, by the way. But this is not just the way that she is with, with me. I have no doubt the Lord is using her now, even today, to encourage others in a mighty way to walk with the Lord. I'm certainly hesitant to mention any other names, but I also can't help but think of some others in our own church family. Some widows who are being used by the Lord in a powerful way, who have certainly been used by the Lord in a powerful way for many decades and are still being used in a powerful way to model trust in Christ and devotion to His church. And so seniors, regardless of your age or your season in life, God is not finished using you. Regardless of whatever age or season of life you find yourself in today, God is still using you. Your life in Christ still has extraordinary significance and purpose and usefulness here. You matter here. Maybe this is a season of your life in which you can more easily devote yourself to the church's prayer room ministry or, or utilize God-given gifts to point others to Jesus through the Sunshine Singers ministry or to participate in gospel ministry through Vacation Bible School. Regardless of age or stage of life, believers serve faithfully for the sake of the gospel. The Holy Spirit says here in 1 Timothy chapter 5 through Paul that the church and her widows honor Christ through mutual service. And secondly, uh, that the church honors Christ by holding pastoral positions in high esteem. Church is called to honor Christ by holding pastoral positions in high esteem. That's what verses 17 through 25 are all about. In fact, these three relationships that are mentioned are held together by a key word, and that's the word honor. Chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, give proper recognition to, a.k.a. honor, same word, those widows who are really in need. Chapter 5, verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. In chapter 6, verse 1, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, a.k.a. honor. Same word. And the elders of verse 17 are not the senior members of the church, not the senior adults of the church. That's one way that that word is used. But here, this is referring to those who hold positions of leadership in the church. And earlier in this series, as we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 3, we came across the word overseers. We said that the New Testament word for overseer and for elder and for pastor are used interchangeably to refer to the same office. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to honor Christ by holding this particular office in the church in high esteem? Well, to begin with, I think it means that we expect faithful leadership and faithful exposition. We expect faithful leadership and faithful exposition. Exposition refers to explaining and applying the scriptures. Exposing the meaning and the application of God's word. 
Verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well, i.e. those who lead well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching, i.e. exposition. To lead the church well is no small task. Uh, To preach God's word is, is no light endeavor, yet these are part and parcel to the position of pastor in Christ's church. They are foundational and necessary components of pastoring the Lord's church. Friends, they cannot be reduced or ignored, overshadowed or forgotten. More important than personality or presentation or likability is faithful proclamation of the gospel and a clear pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to our pastors, we must expect faithful leadership and faithful exposition. And according to Paul, we must provide generously, provide generously. Verse 18, for scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. This is a reference to Deuteronomy and a a law that was given to the people of Israel uh, to to let the ox work, let let the ox work, certainly let the ox work, let the ox eat while he works. And then a reference to words of Christ. The worker deserves his wages. In other words, care for the needs of those who labor as pastors of Christ's church. So not in an elaborate way. We're not talking about elaborate or grandiose compensation. That's not what the scriptures are teaching. And those that say that it is, I think, are misconstruing God's word. But a level of financial provision that portrays that we value the ministry of the word and the health of the church. And so here it's incumbent upon me to say thank you church thank you church for being a church that provides generously for your pastors and your staff for such practice is often not the case so when it comes to pastors paul says the scriptures say that we're called to expect faithful leadership and faithful exposition we're called to provide generously and thirdly we're called to protect from unsubstantiated accusations Protect from unsubstantiated accusations. You see, because of the often public nature of pastoral work and the numerous messy and uh, sin-saturated situations in which pastors must serve and counsel and speak and model Christ-like character in the midst of satanic attacks, Paul says, verse 19, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought about by two or three witnesses. In other words, don't Don't believe every word you hear misspoken against the church's shepherds. For there are some who delight in the downfalls of the church's leaders. Protect your leaders. Protect your leaders from unsubstantiated accusations. However, he goes on to say when there is credible evidence from multiple witnesses that our pastors are persisting in sin, then we're called to rebuke them. In the presence of all, rebuke the unrepentant in the presence of all. The Spirit of God says, verse 20, but those elders, those leaders, those pastors who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone, before the church, so that the others may take warning. The tense of the Greek verb found in this verse seems to suggest that Paul has in mind those who keep on sinning. In fact, the New American Standard Bible translates this as those who continue in sin. In other words, they're unrepentant. No acknowledgement of wrongdoing nor intention to change. Let's get 
rather messy. How do, how do we determine when it's appropriate to do such a thing? Well, thankfully, I don't think this necessarily means that you need to publicly rebuke uh, me if you catch me jaywalking on Highway 280. Uh, now, some words of wisdom would be in order. That's not a wise thing to do. Uh, nor, does I, nor, nor do I think that this means that you would call out uh, James if uh, you caught him slightly going above the speed limit on Meadowbrook Road. You see, we, we're sinners. But there's a difference between the ongoing struggle that we all deal with as a result of sin in this world... And engaging in sins that interfere with our ability to continue as an example to the church laid out for us in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Certainly we could lay out some of those things no doubt would be. And it takes listening to the Spirit and wisdom and discretion from the Lord in determining how to approach such circumstances. But unfaithfulness to, to a spouse, abuse of, of children... Habitual line. We, we go on and on about things and certainly things that portray a level of, of, of sin and, and, and an unwillingness to repent that call for the church to call out their leaders. In other words, in such instances, Paul says, Timothy, don't show favoritism here. Don't sweep this under the, robe, uh, under the rug. Don't sweep such things under the rug. Uh, for those elders in the church who have gone astray need to be called out publicly as a witness to God's truth and as a warning to others. Sin is serious, Timothy, so treat it as such, especially among those charged with leading our Savior's church. And lastly, regarding this particular position and relationship, Paul says when it comes to pastors, don't be hasty. Verse 22, don't be hasty. Uh, Don't be too quick to fill a position, a point with great care. The truth is that we're going to make mistakes here. Sometimes we're going to call pastors and appoint leaders that don't pan out so well. Sometimes we're going to appoint men for the wrong reason. And other times we're going to overlook men who would lead and serve Christ's church well. And sometimes we're going to appoint the right man and yet he's going to fall. A fallen and finite Nature suggests that this is so, but even so, the scriptures do teach here and call upon us here to diligently strive to do everything we know to hold positions, pastoral positions in high esteem for the sake of the church and ultimately for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Believers serve faithfully for the sake of the gospel. And finally, our passage ends, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, by addressing a third relationship in the church in the first century and that's the relationship between slaves and their masters unfortunately church the bible's words have been used to justify slavery in our own nation's history but to do so misrepresents the text and grossly ignores the full counsel of god's word when it comes to the dignity and the value of human life in the eyes of god we don't have time today to deal with that subject comprehensively. Maybe on some occasion we will. But it is fair to say that even though the Bible never flatly condemns slavery, the natural and necessary result, byproduct of taking biblical truth seriously is the abolition of slavery. And indeed, that's what happened. Even so, the kind of slavery taking place in the first century 
Roman world, the world into which Paul is speaking, was quite unlike the African slave trade that we think of when we hear about slavery. And also quite unlike the deeply troubling and sinful human trafficking taking place throughout the world today that has some 27 million people today enslaved, most of whom are are women and girls. Friends, the the Lord despises such sin. And as followers of Christ, as followers of, of Jesus, we ought to do everything we can to bring the gospel to bear on such issues of injustice. And so the scholars suggest and believe that roughly one third of citizens in the Roman Empire were slaves. And their slavery was not based on ethnicity or race, but on social or economic status. In fact, many slaves would voluntarily sell themselves into slavery to gain citizenship. And for most, there were opportunities beyond slavery to purchase freedom and to provide for themselves. But even this more humane slavery is not part of God's design. And it results from human sin. By giving words that speak into that relationship, Paul is not endorsing it, but he is shepherding folks living in an economic structure dependent upon it. In fact, he's addressing congregations that no doubt were filled with both masters and slaves who confessed faith in Christ and wanted to follow him. And the instructions that he provides and the principle he conveys are consistent uh, with the preceding sections that believers serve faithfully in whatever relationships they're in for the sake of the gospel. So we've seen that the church and her widows honor Christ through mutual service. The church honors Christ by holding pastoral positions in high esteem. And thirdly, the Christian servants honor Christ by working with respect and faithfulness. Christian servants called honor Christ by working with respect and faithfulness. Servants. Whether the slaves or students or employees or children honor and respect those in positions of authority over them in an effort to honor Jesus and to win unbelieving masters and unbelieving teachers and unbelieving parents and unbelieving bosses to faith in Jesus Christ. So friends, let's work wholeheartedly. Let's be people who work wholeheartedly. Whatever instruction, whatever task, whatever situation God puts us in, allows us to be, let's be people who work wholeheartedly for the Spirit of God says through Paul elsewhere in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for human masters. See, Christian servants, those who know Christ, work wholeheartedly for they see their work. We must see our work. We ought to see our work as worship and devotion to our God. Christian, as you serve others, whether you do so out of obligation based upon a particular position or in a voluntary fashion, work enthusiastically and passionately as you serve selflessly. Let's be people who serve selflessly. Friends, the truth is that followers of Jesus serve faithfully because they know the faithful one. 
We serve selflessly because we know the one who has been selfless. We serve because we know the greatest servant. We know the one who was faithful even when it cost him his life. We serve selflessly because he did so. Believers serve faithfully for the sake of the gospel because the Lord of the gospel, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. It took on the very nature of a servant. He became a servant. He became one of us. And not only did he become one of us, he became the greatest servant of all. He gave his life. He willingly laid down his life on the cross for you and for me. Friends, he did this for us. What a master. What a savior. What, what a servant. What, what a God. Do you know the servant, the suffering servant, the servant king, the one who gives his life away so that you and I can be forgiven, so that we can receive what only he deserves, so that we can have abundant life here and now, so that we can be right with our maker, so that we can enjoy him and his provision forever and ever and ever. Do you know this servant and are you serving him? Are you serving him? Are you serving his church? Are you serving your neighbor? Are you serving others for the sake of his name? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for being a God who has served us. Lord, we do not deserve your, your love, and yet you have lavished it upon us in the gospel of Jesus. Or we do not deserve to be right with you. And yet you extend forgiveness to us. You invite us to repent and to turn to you. And to find life and forgiveness. And joy and satisfaction in you. Or there's no greater joy than knowing and walking with you. Help us to do so. Lord, in all that we do, help us to be faithful servants of of yours, serving you and others in your name for the glory of your name, for you are worthy. Lord, lead us now as we respond to, to you. May we respond in a way that glorifies the name of our Savior. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.